0: In today's podcast, I'm going to speak to you about the doctrine of adoption. I'm also going to answer some listener questions and read out some testimonies. Greetings. Thank you for tuning in to listen to Equipping the Bride podcast. I'm Brother Jason DeMars from Beaufort, South Carolina, a minister at Bethel Tabernacle. New episodes of this podcast are posted every Friday. You can watch this podcast on YouTube and listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. May the Lord richly bless you. hello everyone thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast this week and i'm gonna look at some listener feedback and uh spend some time teaching on the subject of adoption so i believe this is podcast number 18 for this year so we're still going i have uh i just got a uh recent review on uh, Apple Podcasts from Enoch Simmons. He says, love this podcast and hope you're successful in your future episodes. Sincerely, Enoch. Thank you for writing in Enoch. I appreciate that. Um, We also had a few new people sign up to support the podcast on Buzzsprout subscriptions. Appreciate that. Uh, James Warnock, several weeks ago uh started supporting on a monthly basis uh sister chastity bowman uh, a little over a week ago started uh a subscription and sister jessica from down under uh she also started subscribing um just recently so thank you all i greatly greatly appreciate that if you want to do that, one of the links below here in this episode, there's a spot to go on and do that. You can do that for $3, $5, uh, $8, or $10 a month, and that goes to offset costs for software. And um, if if we ever get to that place where, and, and for the subscriptions that we have to put this, put this out. So if we ever have a surplus, we'll certainly put that back in towards uh, uh, the books that we give out for free through our website jasondemars.com uh, from my good friend brother Stephen Carlin uh, wrote in on YouTube said Jason has been wonderful at helping me understand the Bible and the message of this great hour we we are privileged to live in Thank you, Jason, for putting out these podcasts. Thank you for the feedback, Stephen. I greatly appreciate that, and you've been a great blessing and help to me in my life and my ministry and uh, and a good friend to me and my family. So greatly appreciate that and just encourage you all. I, I, I appreciate that. I need the feedback. if It helps all the algorithms, helps get the word about this. So if you have questions, or comments, please do so. Uh, however, you're listening. Um, if you're on whatever you're listening this podcast on, if you're uh, uh, if you would wouldn't mind going on and writing a review, uh, where you select the stars and write something that the the podcast has meant to you over time. So, thank you so much and appreciate that. We also get plenty of uh, negative feedback as well. Um, a few, probably three years ago, uh, I recorded some, uh, a series defending uh, the ministry of Brother Branham, and I got a lot of good feedback and a lot of negative feedback on that. I want to take a few minutes. Someone writes in uh, named Guadalupe and says, William Branham, had many failed prophecies. He denied the Trinity. Then he said he believed in the Trinity. He he adjusted depending on whom he was preaching to. He was part of KKK. Jim Jones led one of William Branham's groups. William Branham brainwashed people to believe lies. And yes, he created a blind following called The Message. Many people have come out of it. They will tell you why. He also claimed to be the Messiah for his time. Open your eyes, people, and do your own research. All right. So I want to take some time to respond to those things. I have studied the message for 24 years and I have not seen one single failed prophecy. There have been conditional, there are conditional prophecies that Brother Branham made a mistake and the prophecy didn't come to pass because of his mistake. But there are conditional prophecies also in the Bible where the prophet made a mistake, and didn't follow through, and the prophecy didn't come to pass. This was not God's fault. This was not God's error. This was an error on the part of the prophet. Okay. It's, he denied the Trinity, and then he said he believed in the Trinity. He adjusted depending on whom he was preaching to. He, he did not de- deny the Trinity sometimes and then espoused to it other times. I have studied the Godhead very closely, probably been the, 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 the topic that I've studied continuously for 22 years, 24 years now since 1999. When I first came to the message, I got the the, uh, the search program, Folio, Folio Views, and I've been searching and studying it ever since. Brother Branham explains himself that God is a triunity of being, That there is one God manifested in three attributes, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. These are three masks that God has clothed himself behind in order to reveal himself. He doesn't deny it sometimes and other times accept it. What you're confused about is he condemns the Trinity of three persons as being a doctrine from the devil. Other places you see that he says he believes in a triunity, He believes in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but he believes that the Trinity of persons, three persons, is teaching three distinct gods, and that's false teaching, and that's of the devil. So, that's very clear, easy to understand. Now, John Collins is putting out that Brother Branham was a part of the KKK. This is utter garbage. This is a complete Fallacy, a total lie. He is making this up completely. Brother Branham was not a part of the KKK, and it's very clear in his remarks and in how he handles things that he disagrees with and is completely against the KKK. The only thing that's said is when he was a little boy, and he shot—he accidentally shot himself through the legs, and he was dying in the hospital. That. His family couldn't afford to pay their debt, and so several several uh, groups, and one included the KKK, paid for uh, his hospital bill. But Brother Branham was not a part of the KKK; he had nothing to do with it. It didn't espouse to their beliefs. I'm going to read to you what he said in 1961 in the sermon Jehovah Jireh. And I certainly believe that Abraham Lincoln was one of the greatest presidents we ever had by freeing the slave. What member of the KKK would say that? (laughs) None of them. God never intended any man to be a slave, nor his color or his creed, and no matter what, he should never be a slave. God made man in his own image and his likeness. Man made slaves, not God. And they used to bring them slaves over and sell them, and you could buy them like you used to, uh, like you do a used car on the car lot. Brokers would go buy and buy them. And they'd go into the plantations and swap them, have a great big, heavy set man, and maybe his wife's a little spindly woman. Why they'd just buy a bigger woman and breed this big man to this big woman to make bigger slaves like cattle? You mean that would please God? No, sir. No man can be a Christian and believe in slavery. So does Brother Branham, a member of the KKK, by his words, you can see, absolutely not. This is an outright lie. John Collins is a liar. Next was Jim Jones. who He's the man who took people down to, I think it was Guyana, and when they were getting Uh, to the place where the feds were cracking down on them or coming coming to arrest them he had everyone drink kool-aid he drank kool-aid with a poison in it and they all died on a mass murder a suicide took place jim jones was never a message believer jim jones never led one of william branham's groups this is false it's a lie there's no evidence for this it's completely made up by john collins Jim Jones, at the time that Brother Branham was alive, was a part of the full gospel movement. He was a part of the uh, Assemblies of God. Are we going to say the Assemblies of God uh, is uh, people that are despising the message. Are we going to say he was in Assemblies of God, therefore the Assemblies of God, Jim Jones led one of the Assemblies of God churches, so the Assemblies of God is from the devil. Jim Jones made his own choices, his own decisions. He did not follow Brother Branham's doctrine. Show me one place where Brother Branham encourages people to commit suicide or kill themselves or deceives people to this extent. This is total lies. John Collins is a liar. He's the one that's been spreading that false lie. He also claimed to be the Messiah for his time. Brother Branham did not claim to be the Messiah for his time. He was asked this directly and he denied it, denied it completely. He never once claimed to be the Messiah of his day or any other day. You can look this up, and you can search for this. He's asked this question directly. He said, if I made myself Jesus Christ, I would be an antichrist. That is a complete lie. This person says, open your eyes and do your research. I'm going to tell you, Guadalupe, open your eyes and do your research. Don't just read what John Collins says. John Collins is a liar. John Collins is the CNN of anti-message believers. All, he, he lies from start to finish. That's what he does professionally. That is his profession, lying. You know, looking at these kind of topics, it's, it's disheartening because people are claiming to be truth seekers, but they're actually just following after lies. And they're lying to people and, you know, look, they will have to answer to the Lord for that. They don't answer to me I believe in people having the freedom to choose. You get to choose what you believe. I'm not going to force any Christian person to believe anything that they don't want to believe. My job is to teach you from the Bible. If you don't like what I teach, then don't listen to me. If you don't like what I preach, then don't come to the service that I'm preaching at. Uh, It's as simple as that. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to go. No one's no one's holding you here and forcing you here. My purpose is to help people grow in their faith and in their walk with the Lord. Outside of that, I have no reason of existence. My purpose isn't to make a name for myself. My purpose isn't to make a lot of money. There's a, uh, There's a lot of other ways that I could make good money doing. I was in banking this is n- this this is not a money grab this isn't something to build myself or build a name for myself i'd just as soon go live in the country and never be heard from again but god has called me to do this he's called me to teach the message from the bible and that's what i'm going to do if i'm preaching it if i'm preaching it and teaching it to the posts then i'm preaching it teaching it to the posts <laughs> But God bless you, Guadalupe. I'm sure you're seeking for the truth, and so what I've told you will give you something to think about it. So let's turn and look at the word adoption in the scripture. Um, we're going to look at a number of scriptures here and, and go through them. Um, but what we want, we want especially to do is uh, spend some time uh, looking at some of the background here. Um, let's look at this. Does the word adoption in the Bible carry the same meaning as our word for today about adoption? Is there another experience besides the new birth and the resurrection that is coming to the bride at the end time? The term adoption is used five times in the Bible. It's in Romans eight fifteen and 23, and 9, 4. Galatians 4, 5, and Ephesians 1, 5. In Ephesians 1, 5, and 9, and... Romans 9.4, there's very little context given as to the meaning of this term. In the Greek language, the term is huiothesia, its meaning is the placing of sons. The term adoption in English obviously means the act of adopting, or adopting means to take by choice into a relationship, especially to take voluntarily a child of other parents as one's own child. It is granted that this word heothesia is used for the actual act of adopting someone into your family in Greek history and literature. Many theologians have written extensively about this subject in this manner. God takes us who are not his children, makes us makes us his children. However, does the context of Scripture give us this same picture? I want you to view the context of Galatians chapter 4, to illuminate my point more clearly. We'll start with Galatians 3, 23 through 29. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which, would, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. These are neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. Nor, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise And then Galatians 4, 1 through 5, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons." All right, so Paul's writing that before we came to faith in Christ, we were kept under the law. That was our schoolmaster. The word in Greek is pedagogue. So a pedagogue is what we consider a nursemaid in the English tradition. They were the servants that the father hired to watch over the children, to teach them and guide them early in life and to care for them. The law acted as a servant that protected and cared for us. Then in verse twenty six he says that we're all huios sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. If we belong to Christ, then we are heirs of the promise. All right. So in chapter four, in verse one, we see Paul continues his illustration. He writes that the heir, which means the person that will inherit leadership, as long as he is a, as long as he is a child. The word child is nepios in the Greek, and it means a minor. In other words, someone that hasn't reached the age of majority or maturity yet. The word nepior even suggests not speaking or silent. In other words, he has no say and no official position, though he is master, is master of all the servants. He continues to be under guardians and agents until the time that has been fixed for him to enter into his position as an adult son with authority in his home see see the difference between the words we are huios we are huios of god that means to be a mature son the other place he calls it nepios child so a child with no say no word just under a schoolmaster under the pedagogue and the pedagogue is christ excuse me and the pedagogue is the law all right so the law here is called the elements of the world, that is the ABCs, the alphabet. We are, were un, we are in bondage to the very basic principles of things. Christ came to put us in a position where we could become adult sons. Alright. So it's clear that adoption is being spoken of in the sense of that ceremony wherein wherein a child becomes a man with the right of an adult son. Paul speaks of the heir being a minor and then the time appointed. So let's look at what Brother Branham spoke about the subject. Uh, Let's see what sermon. This is from the believer's position in Christ. He says, Then the father taken him out into the public street, and then he put a special clothes on him, and then the father had a ceremony and adopted that this son, his son, into his family. Paul saying here, having predestinated unto the adoption, see unto the adoption. Moses, a prefigure of it. And then this son, after he came out there, he was given no longer, was just like a servant under a tutor. He was the boss. Amen. I hope that soaks real deep. Going to leave you in a minute. Let's get way down deep. The son was no more under a tutor, but he was like his father. And his father gave him certain things to do. The father might have told him, you take care of this field over here. You do this over there. You take care of the slaves. You take care of whatever it was. He was in full possession. Amen. For he was adopted into that family. And his name on a check was just as good as his daddy's. All right. And uh, Galatians 4, 6 says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This further bolsters our understanding regarding this subject. Because because you are huios, God has sent forth the spirit of his huios into your hearts, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. We do not become sons. We are always children of God by election. We already are sons. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Therefore, we are always his children. But then... When we come to the age of maturity, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now we are in a position of being sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Now, let's, let's look at the book of Romans, the two instances used there, to see what else we can glean from the idea of the placing of a son, quiothesia. Romans 8.15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So you haven't received the spirit of slavery. We've received the spirit of weothesia, the spirit of placing us as sons. Here, receiving of the spirit of his weos, as in Galatians 4.6, is referred to as the spirit of weothesia. Before I comment any more about that I want to refer you to the second verse that speaks of adoption in Romans 8. And not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body so we've already received the spirit of huothesia. But in verse 23 we're waiting for huothesia. So this huothesia speaks of the redemption of our bodies. This shows us that weothesia is almost is ultimately a future event. What is the redemption of our body? It's when this body is changed to be like an unto Christ's glorified body, when this mortal shall put on immortality. At our new birth, we receive the spirit of weothesia. We're placed as sons. And when we receive our immortal body, we are... Rio-thesia. We have the down payment given to us now of our Weothesia. We're in the process of sonship. We are always heirs because of God's sovereign plan for us. He predestinated us to, the, to adoption, right? But we're in the process of becoming in that full operation of sonship, We weren't in the position of sonship, but at our new birth, we enter into the position of sonship. Yet this is, in fact, not the final act. We enter into our full sonship when we get our body changed. Now, Galatians speaks of adoption as happening at the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, In Romans 8, adoption is spoken of as when we get our new body at the rapture right? So, d- depending on the context, in one place the Apostle Paul says this is this is adoption, and in another context he s- says it's another, but it's just simply a full picture. The spirit of we- weothesia versus the complete uh, entering into of weothesia. So, all right, let's keep going. There's another sense wherein we are now being trained and taught by the Holy Spirit in preparation for entering into our position as kings and priests in the millennium. He has made us kings and priests now, but we enter into that position as kings and priests in the millennium when we rule over the nations with the rod of iron that Revelations 2.27 tells us we will. All right. In Church Ages book, chapter four, Brother Barnum says, unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. You cannot, you have to suffer to reign. The reason for this is that character simply is never made without suffering. Character is a victory, not a gift. A man without character can't reign because power apart from character is satanic, but power with char- character is fit to rule. And since he wants us to share even his throne on the same basis that he overcame and is set down with his... F- Set down in his father's throne, then we have to overcome to sit with him. And the little temporary suffering we go through now is not worthy to be compared to the tremendous glory that will be revealed in us when he comes. Now, let's ask this question Is there a third experience distinct from the new birth and the transformation of our body called adoption in the New Testament? There are times when we read Brother Branham's messages when that seems to be the case, as, th- as though the manifestation of the sons of God comes sometimes at the end time before the rapture. However, I want to show you the obvious references that the prophet gives showing that this is not the case. And remember, we've talked about many times Brother Branham's understanding of various topics developed over time. And as the seals opened, he says it became a new book. And so now we have to remember to trace this thought, and understanding all the way through to the end. Now let's look at this. This is from Revelation chapter 5, 1961. Brother Branham says this, Now the tree does not have it, nature does not have it, but yet we are still groaning with them, because as yet we haven't received the fullness of our adoption. But we have the earnest, earnest of it, that we were picked up from the things of the world and now become sons and daughters of God, What kind of people should we be? Oh my, when we think of that, think of it. Now we have the earnest, our spirits groaning for the full adoption. But now we have the earnest of it. As we receive the Holy Spirit, it is the earnest of our complete adoption or complete salvation. Oh, how beautiful. I just love that. All right. We are waiting for the fullness of adoption. This will take place when? At the first resurrection. That's when our bodies will be changed from these vile creatures that we are, and we'll have a body like his own glorious body. For we shall see him as he is, and we will be like him when he appears. We appear in his likeness. We will have a body like his, a glorified, glorious, glorified body, and all the trials and struggles of life will fade into a little mist and blow away to never be no more. And I think in the breach, Brother Branham says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we within ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Oh my, oh my, don't that make us old folks feel good? It ought to make us all feel good, waiting for this hour. We understand this will take place at the first resurrection. See, nature is groaning. We are groaning. Everything is groaning because we realize there's something not right. And the only way you can groan and wait for it is because there's new life come in here that speaks of a new world. And so, When we look at this, we do need to understand these things in the context of the message. There's nowhere in Scripture, as we look at the cases of adoption, that we find that there is an experience distinct from the new birth or the new body that would lead us to believe that there is another event that's taking place somewhere in the future, between now and the rapture, where we enter into a greater supernatural power and enter into this adoption. There's no scripture speaking of that. The manifestation of the sons of God very clearly takes place in the millennium. Once the creation is delivered from its corruption to bondage, then that's when the manif- when the manifestation of the sons of God takes place Creation is set free from its corruption of bondage. I should say it that way. So it's not before that. If if sometime between now and then, uh, we would be manifested, creation should be set free, but then we miss the rapture, we miss the tribulation period, right? So we would go directly to the millennium, and it doesn't work that way. So we have first, God tells us that we are receive the spirit of weothesia, the spirit of adoption. Then when we receive the fullness of adoption, it's at the first resurrection. It's at the rapture, when when these bodies are changed. Then when we return back to earth with Christ, the manifestation of the sons of God takes place, and creation is set free from the bond of of corruption. Satan is put away into... Uh, uh, the bottomless pit and is chained there for the millennium. So, all right, everyone. Thank you so much. Appreciate your feedback. Please uh, write a review if you're listening to this podcast. Give us your feedback if you're listening on YouTube. Appreciate your support. Um, I'll be leaving on a missions trip on Monday. We'll try to keep up with our podcast as we travel. I'll probably record another one before I leave. But you pray for me on the missions trip that I'll be on. I'll try to keep you up to date a little bit up on that. We sure appreciate you, appreciate your prayers, and may the Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to Equipping the Bride Podcast. New episodes are posted every Friday. I want to remind you that if you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. Please, I ask you to remember the believers and the missions work in the Middle East in prayer. May the Lord richly bless you.